Genesis chapter 22, and then we'll read in John chapter 4. Just one verse in Genesis 22, verse 5. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad, that would be Isaac, his son. The lad and I will go yonder. Yes, he was from the south. And worship. And we will come back to you. He says we're going to, me and the young man, my son Isaac, we're going to go and do what? Worship. Turn over to John chapter 4. Now it's Jesus speaking. He's just ministered and brought the gospel of grace to the woman at the well. You may be familiar with that story. In verse 23, Jesus says these words. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. Let's pray. Father, we enter in now with a true desire to worship at your feet. Lord, draw us into what worship really is that we would know you and the power of your resurrection. Fill me with your spirit. Lord, block out every distraction that would take away from the spirit speaking to each heart. Lord, may we hear clearly from Jesus and you alone. Amen. Now, the word, word by the way, this message does relate to our study in uh, Nehemiah in this respect. Remember we left off in the fourth chapter of Nehemiah, and it said, when you hear the trumpet, rally at that place, and God will fight for us. Last week, I did a message on grace. Lord, just put on my heart, uh, was that not a great service for our sister Charmy and, and the hymns? And I love the hymns. And we did this, we did this message on, uh, on grace last week, and we have to have grace before we can have anything with the Lord. Amen? If we don't have grace, we have no starting point. We're saved by grace. We're kept by grace. We're daily washed by the Lord's grace. We need His grace. But without grace, we can't even worship. It's only by grace that we can worship. So when Nehemiah says rally together, we can't even rally unless we have grace. And even if we do have grace, when we do rally... We have to rally with a heart of genuine worship because if it's not real worship, then we're just kind of playing games, aren't we? So we need God's grace, but we need an authentic worship. So when Nehemiah says, hey, we're going to rally together, we need the forgiveness of God to get there. But when we get there, we have to come with our hearts really ready. Did you come really ready to worship this morning? The word worship is very familiar if you spend any time in church. People hear the word worship, 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 worship. It's a very familiar term to believers and as an expression of the Christian faith. The English word worship is found more than 250 times in the scriptures. I picked up our bulletin. You might, might have gotten one on the way in. I picked up our bulletin just to see, I wonder if the word worship appears in our bulletin. Do you think it does? Yep. I counted eight times, and I barely looked. I, I just glanced, give it, gave it a cursory look, and I counted eight times the word worship was in our bulletin. And that's in a five-page handout. 
Many Christians today would identify worship as synonymous with singing and praising. If you asked them, what is worship? They, oh, yeah, I, I know that. That's Chris Tomlin. Right? That's Matt Redman. That kind of stuff. In fact, we have a night of worship coming up on Wednesday, June 20th. So we also call worship music worship, which will be awesome, by the way, and I hope you come. The team's been practicing. They have practiced today. We have a choir, all the good stuff. But while worship is without a doubt inclusive of singing and praising God, no doubt about it, that is part of worship. That's only part of worship. The music aspect of worship isn't really the essence of worship. Did you know that? That the music part of worship is not the essence of worship. Don't misunderstand. God loves when his people worship him in song. He loves when we sing praise to him. You, you read the Psalms, it says sing to him all over the Psalms. God loves when we sing praises. But singing to God isn't necessarily even worship. Did you know that? Some people can sing to God and are not actually worshiping. See, worship is a matter of the heart. Worship takes place here before it can take place in the presence of God. The first mention of worship in the entire Bible, we just read it. It's found in that passage that we just read in Genesis 22. By the way, there's no music in that scene. Did you notice that? There was no worship team. Abraham didn't say, I got the worship team together. Me and the young men, you know, one of them's got a banjo, one of them's got this, one of them. There was no worship team. Why don't we have a banjo on the worship team, Twan? Anyway, that's it. Um, be careful what you ask for. I don't know that I would really. Sorry, you country fans, but uh, I, I could get old. But there's no worship here. There's, there's no big church service in Genesis 22. It's not a big church service, is it? Just Abraham and his son said, the two of us are going to go worship. There's no formal gathering. And yet, this is the first time worship is mentioned. By the way, you, when you think God mentions something for the, for the very first time, do you think it means something significant? The very first time God mentions worship, it's this scene. It's a father, Abraham, and his son, Isaac, and some firewood and some supplies. That's all we got. A knife. Some firewood, and Abraham's headed up a mountain to obey the Lord's command to sacrifice the very son he's waited years to finally get. Can you imagine? Been praying something for all your life. God gives you and says, no, I want you to go and give it straight back to me. You don't get to keep it anymore. But that's what I've been praying for years for, Lord. And so the biblical introduction of worship is taking place in a story of sacrifice and surrender. That's the first time we see worship. And it's our first clue as to the essence of worship and what God sees as genuine, authentic worship. Will Abraham, the question we would, if you didn't know the story, and I, most of you probably know how the story goes, right? Isaac survives. You're like, know that. You know, I, just, I just got saved two weeks. Isaac survives. <laughs> he doesn't actually die. He's not killed on the altar. 
But the question, if you didn't know the story, is if you're wondering what's going to happen, will Abraham surrender that which the Lord has asked of him? Will he do it or not? Will he surrender it? And you know the rest of the story. God didn't want us. God didn't want to sacrifice Isaac. Can we all agree with that? God did not want a sacrificed Isaac. He was testing the heart of Abraham. Was Abraham yielded to the will of God, obedient to the voice of God, surrendered to the worthiness of God? Brother and sister, are you surrendered to the worthiness of God? If those answers are yes, then this would indeed be worship. If Abraham could say yes to those, it would be worship. Abraham had to come to the place that he was willing to worship the Lord even if it was difficult and painful. Did you know that some of your worship will be difficult and painful? You, you might have thought, listening to Caleb, that all worship would be hands in the air. <laughs> Euphoric moments. That's not always worship. Abraham was not having a euphoric moment as he trudges up the mountain to lay his son, but he's already worshiping. His worship was focused on the sovereignty and the holiness of God, not his personal feelings or even his perceived needs. And I say perceived needs because a lot of what we perceive as needs are not actually our needs. This is why people commit suicide. Their perceived need, they think they have this need, and God said, no, you have a spiritual need. Now we see the scene in which the worship is introduced, but what about its meaning? What about the meaning? The Hebrew word, shakah, it means to bow down and prostrate oneself. Okay, most of you know what bow down means. What about prostrate oneself? To prostrate means to lie stretched out on the ground, face down. You don't see many worship services like this, do you? <laughs> Let's all get in a worship position. You all clear the chairs, get flat on your face as low as you can possibly go, and that's what the Hebrew word means. Get all the way prostrate on the ground before the Lord, as low as you can get. Um, let me show you a verse. It really illustrates this. It's in the book of Revelation. Revelation 4.10. The 24 elders. We don't know for sure who the 24 elders are. I have my guesses. You may have yours. Don't have time to get into that. But we will fall down. The 24 elders, these are some of the most godly men that have ever lived. But when they're in the presence of Jesus, what do they do? They fall on their face before him. Brothers and sisters, this is your future in heaven. I've never even bowed my knee now. You need to start. If they bow, I don't know for sure, but I'm thinking we might bow some there too. We'll find out. But I have a strong feeling when I look in the Bible that Abraham bowed, David bowed, Daniel bowed, Paul bowed, John bowed, that it's a good thing to learn to bow before the Lord. Of course, I know that the verse says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Now, that means believers and non-believers. But you want to bow in worship, not bow in it's too late, right? So we see what a picture of worship really looks like. Right there in heaven, we don't have to wonder 
We see what it looks like. And then they say, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you, what? Created all things. In a day that many people now believe in evolution, the heavens will cry out that God is creator, even in heaven. And by your word, by your word, they are, or they exist, and were created. The word of God. One of the reasons they worship, fall down, they fall down worship is, well, two reasons. One, because Jesus is the lamb, and that's salvation. But the second reason is because he is creator, and he's, a, he's an authority of all things, right? Today, everyone thinks they're their own God. Abraham realized, I didn't create Isaac. God did. So if God wants to take Isaac back, God can. God created Isaac. God created me. God created Sarah. Anything he wants to do with us, his chess pieces, is all up to him. Are you okay with that? God moving you around on the chessboard as he sees fit? Some people, let that just drives them crazy. Like, I, don't, I don't like that. You can either surrender to God and find his favor or resist him. That's not a good place to be. But you see the picture. You see the picture that when we bow down, we're demonstrating with this posture that we're fully subservient to the authority and lordship of God. And this is where God wants our hearts to be. Jesus speaking in John chapter 4 when he says, the hour is coming and now is when the Father is seeking for what? True worshipers. Jesus underscores what the Father is looking for. He's looking for those that have taken their hearts and laid their hearts prostrate before him. They're no longer believing in themselves. They're no longer believing in their own ability. They're no longer believing in their own works. They're no longer believing in their own, you know, bank account or career or whatever it may be. And the same was with Abraham. Abraham said, Lord, I'm trusting the whole plan to you. I'll lay down my life. I'll lay down Isaac's life. Whatever it takes, whatever you ask of me, you're God. I'm just but dust and ashes, which Abraham you know, said of himself as well. The Greek word for worship. Now, in the New Testament, it's not Hebrew, right? So in the, in the New Testament, we have Greek. And the Greek word for worship is, guess what? The same as the Hebrew. Bow down. It's a slightly different nuance, but it, it means the same thing, you know? It'd be like saying father versus dad. If I say father or dad, you know that they have two different sounds, but the exact same meaning, right? Father or dad, doesn't matter. You can go either way. Greek, Hebrew. Uh, in, the he in the Greek, it means to bow or to kneel or to fall on the ground with profound reverence. It, uh, it even means in the, in the Near East there, it means to kiss the hand of the ruler, to kiss the hand of Jesus. And you, you would bow down in profound reverence at his feet, which you see John do in, in Revelation chapter 1, which was acknowledging the authority and then our submission to that authority. And Jesus said, the Father, he's not just looking for worshipers, though. He's looking for what? True worshipers. There was already a bunch of worshipers in Israel when Jesus came. They had the temple. Jesus could have said, oh, I don't really need to be here because there's all kinds of people going in there worshiping. But Jesus had issue with their worship, didn't he? 
He had major issue with their worship. See, the Spirit of God can tell the difference because the Spirit of God looks at the heart. He can tell who's really worshiping and who is putting on a front. We know God has called us to worship. We know it's his call in our life. But the question is, will we worship? Will we worship? And this morning, I believe the Lord would have us examine our worship. Where is our worship right now? And if it's not really worship, will we recommit to what God defines as worship? Back in 1999, 2002, and we lived in Charlotte, Charlotte, North Carolina from 97 to um, 2002. But back in uh, 1999, when we were living in Charlotte, uh, we would often sing at church when we were attending church there in Charlotte um, the song by Matt Redmond, which I didn't know who Matt Redmond was at the time. I just thought that our worship team wrote it or something. I didn't know. It's called The Heart of Worship. Remember that song? Like I said, I didn't know who he was. I didn't have any. I, I was just, I thought all Christian music, because I, I I'd only gotten saved in 95, and then for the first couple of years, I mean, every CD we bought was at, at our, our church and stuff like that. We were at Calvary, Fort Lauderdale, and we went and moved to Charlotte. So when worship was sang, I thought the worship team came up with all this stuff. I didn't know. You know, it's like a great song. I, I, I love it. You know, they didn't write any of them. But, um, but I remember singing the song, and it resonated with me to guard the state of my heart of worship. Just, just remember singing it. First time we ever sang it. I knew in my spirit when we sang it that if my love for Christ faded, my love for worship would fade. And I didn't even have much theological thinking about the word. I wasn't thinking the Greek word, the Hebrew word. Does it mean pro- I didn't know any of that stuff. I just was like, it resonated with me. If I don't worship Jesus, or if I don't love Jesus, then my heart for worship is going to fade. And you might remember the words of the song. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. It's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. And it is all about Jesus, isn't it? It's all about him being the Lord of our lives and that he's worthy of our devotion. If the 24 elders bow down and they're in a perfect state, they're they're no longer sinning, they're in a sinless state now, and they're bowing down, how much more of us? Well, we're not in a sinless state yet. We're in a very flawed state still. Yes, we're saved, but we still need to say, Lord, you're worthy of devotion. He bought us with his blood. He brings us to the Father to worship him, and he's called us to take up our what? Cross. We talked about this last week, that the icon of our faith is dying to self, a cross. So where is your worship? Are you worshiping, or have you wandered off? Is your worship waning? You'll get an answer, just ask the Holy Spirit. Lord, where is my worship? He's not, the Holy Spirit will not play games with you. We'll play games with the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit won't play games with us. Amen? You ask and say, Lord, where is my worship? No matter where you're at, I believe every person from God is calling you, including the one speaking right here on the, on the stage. First thing I want to just take a look at with you, our worship, is it sold? Well, that's a strange term. What do you mean by that? It's Abraham that introduces the family of God to the concept of worship. 
Others like Enoch, if you study the Old Testament, you know that Enoch and Noah, of course, men like them, they had already worshipped, right? Noah found grace in the sight of God. Uh, but the, the Holy Spirit used Abraham to define and use the word first, even though, no doubt, Enoch and Adam and Noah and others had worshipped. But the reason why God chose Abraham to define the word, because the opening of the word, God wanted it portrayed in an act of full surrender and full sacrifice. And henceforth, the word would always be, not just fall on our face, but throwing everything at the feet of God, if you will. Lord, you have it all. What's in my wallet? What's in my heart? That's the, that's the picture here. But Abraham, he had a nephew that went a little different route, didn't he? You guys ever heard a lot? Abraham had a nephew that knew all the same theological things about God that Abraham did. He sat in Abraham's Bible studies. He sat in Abraham's church services. He would be with Abraham. Abraham would say, this is God's plan for us. This is how we walk in grace. This is how we wait patiently. This is how we pray. And Lot is thinking, cannot wait to get out from under this guy. His name was Lot. He had seen the goodness of God. He had seen the hand of God on his uncle Abraham. But he didn't want to worship God. He was unimpressed with the glory of God. He was unimpressed with the goodness of God. But he was very impressed with Sodom. Oh, Sodom. It was like New York City, Paris, London. Had it all. So impressed with Sodom. Sodom had the success. See, the good life was available in Sodom. You could have it all in Sodom. With Abraham, a bunch of goats, sheep. More of his messages, more of his sermons, more of his droning on about the goodness of God. Not in Sodom. Fun. Good things happening there. So at first, he just pitched his tent towards Sodom. He didn't move all the way there. He just pitched his tent in that direction where he could get a good look at it on a regular basis. But in the end, he ended up living in Sodom, inside the city, worshiping at the altar of the world's values, and the world's priorities. He didn't participate in all the sins of Sodom. That's how he always felt good about himself, because he didn't do all the same things that the people in Sodom did. He was not participating in all their sins. He was there to just be everyone's friend. But he became so at home there that he blended in perfectly. Nobody could even tell that he had the God of Abraham. If you were to ask Lot... If he still loved and served God, I believe he would have told you yes. Lot knew all the right answers. If you would ask Lot, hey, Lot, and you're living in Sodom. I remember, I remember when you pitched your tent towards it, but then you got a great job offer to move into the city. Now you're in the city. I see your daughters and your whole family just loves the city. You don't even visit Abraham's family reunions or anything anymore. You would love it in there, but do you still love God? He would, you know, I, I do. I do love God still. Not as much as I should, but you got to understand, I'm really busy. I'm really busy with my career. I'm really busy with our family activities. I'm on three charity boards in Sodom, so you know I still care about stuff, good things. I sit at the city gates with some of the leaders, so I'm trying to be influence of them, but um, more times than not, I'm having a martini with them instead. I don't have all the, and by the way, I don't have all the free time that Uncle Abraham had. He has all that free time. I don't. He, I have a really important job. He doesn't. But someday I'll have more time. 
That might have been how Lot would say it. You know, Lot, you know, he, Lot still might have taken the, church, the family to church once a month. You've got to like keep some communication with God going. So maybe go to church once a month. But he might have been there physically, but he sure wouldn't have been there spiritually. Sure, he might have been sitting there, but his mind was on the golf course. His mind was on Monday's work. His mind was somewhere else. Jesus spoke directly to this in Matthew 15. He said, this people worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Jesus said, they're here, but they're nowhere near where I am. Even when the entire city of Sodom was overrun by an invading army and Lot lost everything he had and he was taken captive, God sent his uncle Abraham, wrought one of the greatest military miracles in the whole Bible, rescues Lot, Lot gets his stuff back and goes straight back into Sodom. He was that attached. He couldn't imagine life outside of all the great things that Sodom had. He sold the worship of God for temporary things, didn't he? He sold the wor- or exchanged the worship of God for temporary things. He exchanged the worship of God, and ultimately he exchanged his family for what ended up being absolutely nothing. You know he lost everything? Everything except two daughters, and that didn't turn out too good either if you read the rest of the story. He barely escaped with his life. Lot was sold a bill of goods, wasn't he? He was sold a bill of goods. And he bought it. He exchanged the privilege of worshiping God for destruction, for his life falling apart. Lot didn't want to serve God, but he was ready and willing to worship and present himself a completely devoted servant to the desires of the world and the lifestyle of Sodom. But he had no, he couldn't have that kind of dedication. He craved Sodom, but he did not crave God. There may have been a time when Lot loved and served the Lord. But he became, as Jesus warned in the parable of the sower, he became choked out by the care of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. Millions of times over, one person at a time, one person at a time, all over the world, sells their worship of God for a lie. And it never satisfies. If you ever wonder why so many celebrities, athletes, and musicians, business magnets are still unhappy. I watched a little bit of an interview with, uh, remember the singer in the 80s, George Michael? I just watched, and he literally said these words. He goes, I just, but none of it satisfies. I just still have this void. He literally said the word. I mean, you hear pastors say, God has a, God, you have a God-shaped vacuum that a void that only God can. And he, but he's literally saying those words. So they still have this void. With all people acquire, all they experience, all they achieve, we know it's a lie, and yet many people will still say, but I know it's not worked eight billion times, but this time it will for me. And Lot had that deception. He sold the worship of God for the worship of something that can never satisfy Here's the answer why none of these people that have seemingly everything on the cover of People magazine, why they're never satisfied. If you hear nothing else, hear this today. Here's why. Here's exactly why they'll never be satisfied. Here's the answer. We were never created to build kingdoms. Let me say it again. 
We were never created to build kingdoms. We were created to enter one. We were never created to receive worship and glory. We were created to give worship and glory. So when mankind builds kingdoms or receives worship, they are poisoned. If someone starts worshiping you, it's poison to your soul. If someone starts telling you how great you are, it's not good for you. For people to constantly tell you you're the greatest, you are the most amazing thing. I want to follow you on Twitter. You need 12 million followers. The only one that deserves followers is Jesus. Are you a follower of him, right? We're not created to build kingdoms or receive worship. We're created to enter a kingdom. Jesus said, thy kingdom come, right? Thy will be done. Not build little ones that we can admire. Do you realize that lots of people in America, every, tons of Americans are admiring their own little kingdoms? It's their car in their driveway. It's their career. It's this, it's that. Lot is not unique. He's just the forerunner to many that have come after him. We're not to admire our own little kingdoms, but we're to worship God. Anything else will poison us. Those who have sold or exchanged their worship for the world are in one of two positions. Everyone that is, has sold their worship of God is in one of two positions. And you may be in one of these two positions this morning. One, they've either never really been born again. Like John Newton last week, they might have had an awakening, but as he said, I was not yet born again. There's people that are just not saved yet. Jesus said, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. Many, including many in churches. Or, they are born again. They once walked with Christ, but they've left their first love. That's the only two options. If you've sold your worship to God to something else, you either have never been saved or you have slidden back to the world and you've left your first love. And Jesus says in both cases, repent and repent and do the first works. The second, looking at how our worship is, say, my worship isn't sold, but it doesn't feel quite right. I want to speak to that area. Is it stifled? For the person who sold their worship for the pursuit of this world, there's almost no desire to worship God. If you have almost no desire to worship God, that's a major red flag for God saying either you don't yet know me as Lord and Savior or it's time to repent and come back to your first love. But if you say, no, no, my worship just feels stifled. I'm alive, but it's very weak. You might be in this area. Maybe it's even when you desire to worship God and to be in surrender to him, there's this tug of war that goes on. I want to speak to three groups, three groups in this area, what I titled stifled, that may genuinely want to worship the Lord, spiritually speaking, that is, but feel suppressed as if breathing at 50% lung capacity. So I'm worshiping, but it's like 50% coming out. In other words, there's an inner desire and a thirst to worship, but it's ceased or it's very off and on. You may be here today and you find yourself in one of these three common places in the life of a believer. The first place, perhaps you formerly had no desire to worship. You remember a time when you didn't want to worship at all, you didn't care, you just wanted the things of the world, 
you were infatuated with the world, yourself, your hobbies, pretty much anything but God. But then God got a hold of your life. And now you truly want to worship the Lord with your life and you have your heart flowing with worship and surrender. But it's this constant back and forth. You're like a tennis ball on the court. Right? The only consistency in your life is inconsistency. Spiritually speaking, it's one step forward and exactly one step back. Like zero, one step forward, one step back, constantly. You're in the Word and growing one week, and then you don't open the Bible for 10 straight days. You'd be on a mission trip. You'd, you'd be willing to be a missionary one day, and the next day you're mapping out your 10-year career. I've experienced this, by the way. I can write this stuff from experience. I've experienced these battles in my heart where there's this back and forth. And you have a lot of company if you're in this place. Here's what the Lord would have us do, though. He's not looking at us to feel better about, hey, as long as everybody else is there, then... No, no, that's not what Jesus ever calls us to. Here's what he would have us do. You see, the back and forth in us tells us there's a valley of decision. In 1 Kings 18.21, it says, How long will you falter between two opinions? How long will you falter between two opinions? How long will you try and hold on to both? I want to worship God. You really do. And I don't want to worship God. You really don't. It's time to go all in with the Lord. To lay the excuses down at the throne of Jesus. To recommit and ask his help in all areas of commitment. To get accountability from others. To make the spiritual more important than the physical. Brother and sister, if you're here, you can't put this off any longer. God doesn't want you putting it off. The second group here, I mentioned there's three groups that I want to speak to in this stifled area. The second group, the first group, again, it's just that tug of war. You're not in any great sin. You just are having a hard time saying, I'm all in for the Lord. But the second group that might feel stifled in worship, it is due to sin. Sin that's not been dealt with. You may, in fact, be really disciplined in the Word. Actually, more disciplined than the first group. You may have not misread your Bible for the last 10 straight years. You're not as back and forth in spiritual disciplines. You're in fellowship. You might even be praying. You even might be serving well here. And I thank God for all the service, but the Lord sees the hearts behind service, right? You might be serving and have no real joy at all. If there's sin, all your service, by the way, is still wood, hay, and stubble. That's not a good thing. God just, Jesus loves us not to warn us. You may be trying to worship God in your life. Even here in this service today, you might be trying to worship and you feel like you're hitting a wall. Your hands are raised because you're pretty sure they should be raised, but you're still far from the Lord. You want to worship, but there's still some sin you're holding on to. And it really actually has a hold on you. If you're harboring unforgiveness towards someone, maybe holding a grudge, you're maybe you've been for far too long engaged in gossiping, and you think gossip's not a big deal to God. Slander. 
Perhaps you're in a sexual sin. You're in pornography and no one knows it but God. You've hit it well. Or you've grown very prideful. You're cynical. You're critical. You have an anger issue that no one knows about but your spouse. Maybe it's laziness. People think you're really hard, but God says no. But in the areas of this, there, I've asked you to do these things. And it's spiritual laziness or it can be work-related laziness. It could be either. It could be both. If there's any sin area that God is spotlighting in your heart or my heart, we can't have genuine worship. Did you know that? You cannot have genuine worship when there's some sin that we're holding on to. I'm not talking about that we, we all make mistakes. We all will sin this week. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about God has spotlighted something and you're holding on to it, hiding it, keeping it. There can't be genuine worship until there's surrender to Christ in that area. It's confessed, it's repented of, and it's left at the cross, covered by the blood of Jesus. Amen? Matthew 5, 24, Jesus said, even if you have something against your brother, leave that offering there, go get reconciled, then come back and offer it. Jesus said, you cannot offer me something until the sins are dealt with. They have to be dealt with. We're going to take the Lord's Supper in a little bit. Everybody has a chance to do that, right? There's one last group that may be stifled in worship, and it's not an issue of commitment like the first. It's not an issue of sin like the second. But this last group is an issue of pain and heartache. It can stifle your worship. You're surrendered to Jesus. You're serving. You're giving. You're loving. You're fully commi committed. Or at least you were doing all, that th all those things for the Lord. And the best you knew, there was no sin that you were holding on to. And then out of the blue came some trials. And they were rough. And they are rough and difficulties, and attacks from the enemy on your mind, maybe on your body, maybe both. And maybe you have a chronic illness that seemingly is so bad it saps everything you have in you. Maybe you're grieving the loss of a spouse. Maybe a loved one. Maybe a child. Maybe you've been crushed by fear, depression, anxiety, despair. You went from hope to hopeless. And you were serving the Lord, you were in your word, you were in fellowship, you were doing all these things, and you don't know why God kind of let your life blow up, even though on the outside people may not think it's blown up, but, you, but you're in despair. Maybe you don't even know how the despair started or what further weighs on you, and you're not even sure when you were able to worship to where it came to the place that you just didn't have that worship in you. You read about the book of you read about Job in the Bible. And before Job was just a story, now you say, I think I can relate a little bit to Job. Before it was just some Bible story. Now you see, how's a guy who's doing everything right, God allowed his life to go in flames, right? Satan asked for him specifically, didn't he? You can relate now about how someone living godly can all of a sudden enter a place where they don't even know how to pray. Selwyn Hughes, he was a Welsh minister. And many years ago, he wrote the devotional Every Day with Jesus. Some of you may actually have it. And he said this. I love how he approaches people that are in this condition. He says, sometimes I've had the occasion to talk face-to-face -face with people who are going through difficult circumstances, and I've asked them this question. 
how does all this affect your ability to worship God? Most have responded something like this. I find it very difficult to give my heart in worship as I struggle with these problems. And some have said, I find it utterly impossible. He goes on to say, are we justified in refusing to worship God because he has dealt us or allowed some hard blows? Are we justified? Job had to answer, answer that question, didn't he? Job had to find out, am I justified to get angry? My wife says just curse God and die. Those who are at a standstill spiritually, he goes on, this is still Selwyn Hughes, those who are at a standstill spiritually might react like this. Yes, how can God expect me to worship him when he has allowed these troubles to weigh me down? If you can relate to these words, do you realize there's millions that can relate to these same words? And they're in the body of Christ. We're not talking about this is save people. Those moving slowly along the road of discipleship might say, I know I should worship him, but my preoccupation with my problems make it almost impossible to do. He offers this advice as well. Selwyn Hughes offers this advice. He says, Christian counseling, I love this for Christian counseling. Christian counseling ought to be seen, though in some parts of the churches is not, as restoring people to worship. I love that. I had not heard anyone phrase it that way. Christian counseling ought to be restoring people to worship. What did Jesus say? The Father is seeking what? True worshipers. Abraham, worshiper. You had to be restored to worship. Brother and sister, I have felt, I, Pastor Tim, I have felt at times abandoned by the Lord. Have you ever felt that way? I have felt at times. Literally, I mean, I, I, I have felt abandoned by the Lord. Really felt it. I mean, really felt it. Frustrated. Angry. Let me underscore, underscore the word felt. F-E-L-T. I felt that. But feelings are a lie. Felt it doesn't make it true. I said I felt abandoned by the Lord. Has God ever abandoned his own? No. So which is true? The feeling or the reality that God says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you? Pastor David Hampton, I don't know if it's Pastor, David Hampton, I forget what his title is, but he says suffering doesn't change our beliefs, it reveals them. Suffering doesn't change our belief. It reveals them. The Spirit of God is calling us to worship Him by what? Faith. When we can't even see it. If God is worthy of worship, do we believe that? If worship is part of our eternity, and we know that it is, do we believe that? If the Lord says He cares about all of our needs, do we really believe that? Do you believe God cares about your needs or not? Satan will tell you He don't care. He don't care. You should, you should stop going to church. Maybe once a month like Lot, but that's about it. He doesn't care about you. If you ever hear someone say, God didn't care about you, you can bet it's not coming from heaven. It's coming from hell. Or it's coming from our own just down place, right? Jesus said he would never leave us. Do we believe that? It's strange. In our pain, in our pain, we can still have a desire to walk with the Lord and yet still not worship. Does that make sense? In our pain, we can have this desire to worship and still not worship. Remember, that's different than, than this person who's sold. They don't have a desire to worship. 
They, I don't have any desire to worship. They, worship looks like completely something they're not interested in. I'm talking about people that really desire to worship, but they haven't fully, they're in that valley of decision. Or they really desire to worship, and there's a sin that has a hold of their life. Or they really desire to worship, and there's so much pain and heartache, they can't worship. I'm talking about in this group, your worship is stifled, even though there's a thirst for it. God wants a breakthrough, doesn't he? He wants to bring a breakthrough. But worship is the doorway. Here's the thing, brother. Worship is the doorway to our healing. Worship is the door. The very thing we don't want to do when we feel forsaken is the very thing we must do. The very time you don't feel like praying is the time you must pray. The very time you don't feel like worshiping is the time you must worship. The very time you don't feel like coming to church, you better get dressed faster. Remember Dr. Tony Evans. I listened to her Urban Alternative when I was first say, say, you know, people come and say, Dr. Evans, we have so much financial issue. He said, You better start giving. Yeah. You better start praying. You better start doing the things that ver the very opposite of what our flesh feels is the, the, the way to run. Last thing. Is it strengthening? We looked at worship that's been sold or exchanged. We looked at worship that's been stifled. One last status, if you will. And praise the Lord, you're in a place, if you're here this morning, because God wants us to all be in a place of genuine worship. If your worship is growing and strengthening, I'm rejoicing with you. We all should. We're to rejoice with those rejoice. But maybe it wasn't that long ago that your worship was sold or stopped or stifled. You might, you might be here and say, man, I could just two months ago, I could hardly get a prayer up. And now I'm worshiping. I'm rejoicing with you for that. But don't take it for granted. Amen? Don't take it for granted. Continue to press in nearer to Jesus. Allow him to slowly but surely take out any little hindrance. You know that even those of us that are being strengthened in worship still have areas of hindrance? There's little unseen blind spots. There's little specks. There's all kinds of stuff. Allow Jesus to one by one take those out that our worship would grow and continue to strengthen because we're going to need more strength in 2019 than 2018 and beyond. Take heed lest we fall. Take heed lest you... Don't, don't get to play. Oh, yeah, I'm strong in worship, so now I can shrink back. I don't need to pray. No, no, you need to press in. My good friend, Pastor Thomas Powell down in Virginia Beach, he used to say, and maybe he still does, I'll have to ask him, he used to say, we're all one bad day away from being on the Jerry Springer show. <laughs> one bad day away. And I don't, I don't think that show's on anymore. And praise God if it's not on anything, because it was pretty garbage. But, um, but I understood exactly what he meant, and so do you, right? That, that's going back to grace, right? We have to have grace. We are one bad day away from being on a show like that. If the worship is strengthening, don't shrink back. Continue to press in. Continue to say, Lord, refine my love for you. I, I'm talking about humbly asking God. I'm not talking about, you know, putting yourself on a pedestal. The opposite. Do like John the Baptist. Go lower. Decrease that your worship may increase. It's only by grace and the breath of God breathed in us that we're maturing at all. Amen? We talked about that with John Newton. It's only grace that allows us to worship. And yet he calls us and he bids us to willingly take steps of obedience into new places. 
I will never be able to stop taking steps of obedience, and nor will you. Salvation was just step one. God will continue to ask us to take new steps. Some of you, he's been asking for the longest time to get into fellowship with other men and women, to start to pray, to start to open the Bible daily. But again, if you're strengthened, God says, keep allowing me to nourish and strengthen you. You've got to be planted like a tree by the rivers of water. Start to meditate on the scriptures. God will uh, understand God will give us some rest periods in life. Thank God for them. But it's always to get us ready to move higher up the mountain. The rest periods are to move us higher up the mountain like Moses did to move us higher up and he will give us the strength to do it. And I have one last word from Selwyn Hughes. He said, the spiritually mature will affirm, nothing is more important than the worship of the one who holds my life in his hands because he is God that I know that no matter how things look, to the contrary, all will be well. Thus my heart delights to worship him. Brother and sister, will we worship is the question. Let's bow our heads. Father, we know you introduced worship through your servant, Abraham. We know you desire true worship. But we know, Lord, there can't be true worship unless there's true surrender. And, Lord, in this room, there may be some that still don't know you as Lord and Savior. There may be some, Lord, that, that were walking with you and full of joy and full of the Spirit, and now they've become very attached to the things of this world. And they know they must turn back to Jesus. There's some, Lord, in this room that they one week are committed, the next week aren't, and they're in this tug of war to just go all in for you. There's some in this room, Lord, that they've been trying to worship you, but there's one sin they're holding on to, or maybe two, or maybe three, I don't know. There's some, Lord, that want to worship you, but it's stifled by pain, depression, heartache, fear, anxiety, just despair. And Lord, it wasn't that long ago that maybe they didn't have those things, but you've allowed them like you did in the life of Job. And Lord, yet you're telling them to still worship anyway. And Lord, lastly, there may be some that are strengthened and they've been growing in their worship, but yet the enemy could be right around the corner. And Lord, that they would stay firm. And that you would use them to strengthen the weak around them to come to the aid and help those that are stifled or bring a brother back. And so, Lord, we just ask that your spirit would speak to each heart. And in a minute, we're going to take, just keep your heads bowed, we're going to take the Lord's Supper, but I want to pray with you, and God wants to meet with you. If in any category you feel like, my worship is not where I know God would have it be, where I know the Holy Spirit is drawing me to a place for it to be, and you want to be prayed with and over before we take the Lord's Supper, I'm going to ask you to just stand where you're at. Don't worry about what anyone else thinks about you. God can care less what they think. Just say, 
you know what it is. I'm, I'm not asking you to divulge to anybody else, but to be honest with God, say, Lord, this area, I want to worship with abandon. I want my life to be surrendered at the altar. I want this sin to be gone. I want this pain, even if I have it, like Abraham, to still walk up the mountain anyway. He went and worshiped. Can you imagine if you have that much pain, you know you're going to sacrifice your son, and you say, but I'm going to still go worship? I, I felt that way. If you, if you felt like poor, well, I'm in so much pain, I can't worship. Oh, I felt it. I've had to preach like that at times. Say, Lord, you got the wrong guy. You send somebody else. But God, part of our worship is just to do what Jesus has said anyway. That's what faith is, right? That's what faith is. The evidence of things not seen. He's telling you, say, Lord, I don't, I can't get a prayer off. If you can't get a prayer off, open your Bible and find a prayer and just read it back to God. I'm serious. That's what God would if you can't come up with words, thank the Lord that God's come up with a bunch of them in the Bible. You can just read them back to him and say, Lord, I can't get a prayer off. Do not stay there. Open your Bible. Find a psalm and pray it back to God. Read it back to him. Say, Lord, this is my prayer. I believe God will honor that in ways you'll never... You'll look back and say, wow, God, those were turning points. Turning points in my life. I was... If it's a sin... Find someone you can trust. If it's, say, I need some accountability, find someone you can trust. Say, here's what I'm dealing with. Pray with me. Hold me accountable. And God, you know, don't, don't share with a busybody. Someone mature, one of our elders, myself, someone, I'd be glad to pray with you. We're, no one's going to look down at you. You're sitting around a bunch of sinners saved by grace. Amen? The whole week they're saying, call the suicide hotline. Don't, you know, this, this is God's hotline. Amen? It's way better than the suicide hotline. You'll get an unsafe person on the other end that really can't help you. Jesus is on the other end of this phone. I'm going to say a prayer, and you say one in your heart. Lord, you know what each person needs. And Lord, you know if we desire to worship. I pray that you would stir us by your grace to desire to worship. And Lord, for every person standing, maybe not standing, Lord, I pray that you would come to our defense. You said in Nehemiah 4, you would rally if we would rally, you would come to our defense and you'd fight for us. You've already done that at the cross. And Lord, so I pray across this room, you'd cover by the blood of Jesus. You'd cleanse. You'd refresh. You'd remind us to, to pray, even if it's just to read passages back to you. And Lord, for those that are in pain, I pray you'd deliver them from chronic illnesses, mental health things, emotional things, relationships that are tattered and torn. Lord, the day there's bitterness, go and make things right with your spouse, with a parent, with somebody. Lord, there'd be nothing hindering us from genuine worship. That our lives would be living sacrifices, as Roman tells us, in worship to you. Lord, pour out your spirit of grace and healing 
And Lord, for each and every one of us, may we truly surrender it to you. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated.